Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? Brought to you by Visit Houston. Become a Houston insider today. From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas. Here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. We're going to do things a little bit differently on the show this week because, let's be honest, there is only one news topic we're talking about, and that is the coronavirus and the effect that it is having on Houston restaurants. Before I introduce my guest this week, I would like to tell you that uh, this segment is brought to you by Houston Insider by Visit Houston. Whether you love Houston or want to get to know the city better, this free program is right for you. Go to visithouston.com slash insider to learn more. All right, so... I remember when the terrorist attacks happened in Paris and I was watching last week tonight and John Oliver said that we needed premium cable profanity to talk about what was going on. Uh, And in this show, when I need premium cable profanity, I turn to Ryan Lachane, the chef owner of Riel Restaurant in Montrose. Ryan, welcome back to the show. How are you? Fuck yeah. (laughs) I'm glad you're here. She She doesn't work nearly as blue as Ryan, but she's still a valuable member of the team. She is the owner of Avondale Food and Wine, also in Montrose. Mary Clarkson, welcome back to the show. How are you? Howdy, Eric. Uh, it's a fucked up day. Oh, yeah. look at that. <laughs> it's going to be a busy day for producer Michael Carroll, I can already tell. So let me just, goodness, I hardly know where to start. I mean, I gave you guys some questions to sort of think about. Um about nobody in the hospitality business is sleeping right now. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm let's, so fucking tired right now. It's unbelievable. Well, let let's set the scene a little bit. Houston has been so we're recording this on Monday. As of now, Houston has been relatively unaffected from a government intervention standpoint by the coronavirus. Uh, that is not the case over the country. Uh, casinos and hotels are closed in Vegas right now. Chefs all over the country in cities like New York and Seattle are closing their restaurants. Um, Ryan, you said you're not sleeping. I, I mean, this is, this is. I mean, you you lived through Harvey. Like, how bad or or what are you? Well, this what is, are your thoughts? This is a whole like different animal from Harvey. Like, you know, Harvey, you knew it was coming, and like. You knew it had an end. You knew it had an end. So okay, it's 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 bad. It's raining. It's flooding. The water's gone. It, there's there's like devastation. But you could see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Kind of like you know, this like like no one knows what the fuck is going on here or when it's gonna stop or if it's gonna stop or or what's gonna happen. And that's that's the scary part. Right. We don't know how long. Right. We we don't know two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, two months. You know, we know that it'll it'll work its way through the city at some point and that it's going to get real bad. But, you know, these instructions or these recommendations or, or they're not yet regulations, but they certainly could be um, for social distancing and to uh, flatten the curve is the big is the big buzzword. We we don't know when how long it's going to take. We have no idea. Like we're. We, some of us have our, you know, uh, ear to the ground more than others and everything else, but it's all speculation until it's not. I don't think it's a matter of if, I think it's a matter of when. And I think any business owner in this city that doesn't think that 
is going to look back on this and regret that they didn't take action right now. All right. So, so what you're saying is, so we, we don't know, and I don't want to get into too much speculation, but it's certainly not unreasonable to think that Houston will go the way of some of these other cities. We're the fourth largest city in America and we're the only city of our size that has not shut down. Yeah, absolutely. So Ryan, what are you doing? What are you doing right now to kind of prepare for if the city says, Hey, your, your dining room is closed. You're to go only starting tomorrow. Well, we have a to go system like in order that we've, we've put together starting today. Um, and besides that, you know, we're, we're still staying open for regular hours. We can, you know, we're distance, we're every second table. And that being said, trust me, you'll have lots of room <laughs> to eat at Real if you want to come in. Um, but we're just trying to do the same things as everyone else. You know, what can you do besides to go and, and curbside? What, I don't know. Is there any other option? If they shut us down, there won't be any no, other there's option. Nothing, there's nothing to do, right? Right. I don't, I don't, okay. I don't think they're going to close you but I think they might close your dining rooms. Oh, I think curbside and to-go will be allowed. It's allowed in New York right now. Um, I understand. I believe it's allowed in California right now. I think that will be an option. But here's the reality for people like Ryan and myself to some extent and many other restaurants that we love and hold dearly is that to-go orders, as Ryan said before we started taping, yes, it will help us, but it will not it will help us, but it will not keep our businesses afloat. You cannot replace the liquor sales and the tips for your employees and all of the things that happen in a dine-in experience. So curbside to go for a fine dining restaurant, that may not even translate for some of the restaurants that we love as fine dining. First of all, the food doesn't travel as well for some restaurants. You're not going to get... um, the same quality of food from these higher end restaurants just because their food doesn't translate to to go for people like Ryan. It probably does translate to go to some extent, but it's not going to for everyone. Yeah, I, right. I mean, we have seen restaurants in other cities. I mean, it's already happening in Austin. It it hasn't really started happening here yet, but MMH shut all their restaurants today in Austin. That's the largest independently owned restaurant group. We should say that's, McGuire Mormon. Yes, sorry. McGuire Mormon Hospitality. So they own, you know, they would be the Justin Hughes and, and Bobby Hugels of, of their city, so to speak. So they shut all their restaurants as we started to go in the air today. Right. So, I mean, what are you, Ryan, or either one of you, but but let me start with you, Ryan. I mean, do you do you think you might have to close for a period of time? I mean, what are you what are you doing to prepare? Yeah, I think we're eventually have to close for a period of time because, like this, I, I think the to-go stuff is just—it's a fucking band-aid. Like it's, it's stopgap. It, it's yeah, it's not sustainable for for a restaurant for our, our business model, you know. So there's going to be a come a time where we have to we have to shut down, but there has to be some type of safety net for all of us yep. to for this to happen, or there's not going to be. You can't like, do the caviar board in like a little plastic container. Uh, I can't do it. No, like I I wish I could, but I can't. <laughs> We need guidance from our city, Absolutely. state, county, federal elected officials, and we need it now. There has to be some leadership right now to tell us what to do because most of us are just sitting around like, like okay, we, we know how to cook. We know how to run our, our little business, but something like this, we need some some guidance to say, should we do this? Like, okay, like, is this, this is that bad? Then tell me to shut down. 
and tell us it's going to be for seven days or 14 days or 28 days or whatever it is so we can take care of our employees, so we can plan, so we know as best as they're willing to provide us. I mean, we're supposedly a couple weeks behind Italy in terms of the spread of this. What does that mean for us? Nobody, we need answers. So among other I mean, among other organizations, the Texas Restaurant Association has released a statement. They they don't want you shut down. They want they want restaurants kept open. So I don't know. Are you are Why? you in touch with? Well, because I mean, it keeps people employed. I mean, it's better than. Well, do, but does it? But does it? Because to I don't know how many people when they listen to this have gone out in the last week or whatnot. But you will see that even your most favorite neighborhood restaurant or wine shop or bar is very uh, is is hardly full um i went to anvil last night and bobby was hugo was implementing social distancing to only see a bar like anvil with 10 bar stools in it or 12 bar stools in it and seating every ever every other banquette and i respect him for doing it and he's doing the right thing but how is that sustainable for your employees well no i mean i i but i think well I think part of the problem is that you're right. There is a lack of guidance about exactly what the requirements are. We all want to do the right thing, but what is the right thing right now? Well, I mean, so I saw New York City said cut your capacity by half. What is, what is, I know, but like, where does 50% come from? Like, where does that fucking number come from 50%? So Friday and Saturday at Real last week, we were busy. But am I part of the problem now? Well, no, you know, I don't. You know I don't, like, I don't like, think it's your fault. It's not my fault, but am I part of the problem now? Because there's people in my restaurant, and there's no, there's no distancing. You know, I, I, I had a good weekend, but am I, am I causing a huge fucking problem here? So what do you like? What do we do with this? Yeah, do you? I mean, what is what does fifty fucking percent do for me at the end of the day? Well, I, I think there's sort of two separate issues, right? I think they don't. Th- these regulatory authorities don't are not like deeply enmeshed in the economics of running a restaurant. So they just, you know, especially in a city like New York city where the, the tables are really close together. They think, Oh, well, 50% that'll space the tables apart. That'll, that'll let these businesses stay open. That'll, that'll create some distance. Um, but they who, don't understand that like who has a business model that runs at 50% that right. like you're, you're like, Hey, and that's if you're a hundred percent full at 50%. Yeah. Like that's, it's fucking ridiculous. Like I don't, I don't understand what that means. That okay, there's still some people in there, whatever, but it's not helping anyone in the long run. Well, yeah, and I mean, I was out and about a little bit on Sunday. You know, I drove up uh, Shepherd, and I, you know, I sort of peeked at the bars and restaurants as I was making my way through the Heights. You know, they were busy, right? Full patios. I was at Cottonwood for a crawfish cookoff. Full patio there. Lots of people, all generations. You know, they had our little table kind of off on its own. So I guess we got a little bit of social distance, but you know, I can't speak to the cleanliness or the health of the people who were preparing the crawfish, serving the crawfish. Like they weren't wearing gloves. I mean, I don't, you know, it it made me nervous to be out. And, and, but I think, you know, I think we all have, well, I won't speak for everyone else. I personally have a sense that this is kind of the last hurrah for a little while that like last weekend was probably it for me uh, certainly for any kind of large gatherings. I mean, every major food event has been postponed or canceled. Um, everything from 
Chef Fest, Houston Barbecue Festival. We haven't, uh, as of this recording, I don't have a replacement date for the Tastemaker Awards, but I can tell you it's not happening April 2nd. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, so without some sort of specific, and this goes back to your point, without some sort of specific instruction about what this means and how to implement it, people won't, People won't just take advice on their own. They have to be told what they can and can't do. Listen, I posted on Avondale's Instagram and Facebook last night. I didn't sleep. I posted at 5 a.m. And I was just like, let's go ahead and rip this fucking Band-Aid off. And to business owners out there, I'm an attorney. And I think about my business both in terms as a business owner, but I also think of the legal side of it. And for the other small business owners out there, you need to act now for yourself because nobody else is going to help you right this second in terms of things like how are you going to pay your rent or you need to renegotiate with your landlord or you need to you need to you need all hands on deck right now because you've got to get ahead of this nobody if you don't get ahead of this nobody's going to help you um, in the way that you know you, you have to start now well all right so so if you were speaking to a legislator or the governor or somebody like what sort of government intervention would help you? I would say, I mean, the legal legalities of this, I don't even know, but I, a stay on any evictions or business closures. I don't, I don't know how willing the government would be to get into that, but it's not going to help anybody if a business can't pay their rent that could normally pay their rent to lock them out. If you lock them out and everything else, that's great. You're going to have an empty building and an empty tenant for a long, long time. So it is better for everybody to work together with a solution. And that solution is going to vary for everybody. But if you don't work together, everyone is going to feel the pain. Everybody. Well, let me ask you, what about deferred mixed beverage taxes, deferred well, pay, payroll, payroll taxes, taxes got to go all that stuff. They still uh, deferred only does so much. Yeah. They're still going to come due, okay? So, if you don't have income coming in or income at the levels that you're used to, the deferral that's great, but that doesn't that doesn't fix anything. It doesn't. It it's temporary. Yeah, okay, that's nice. But I don't know. Ryan, what do you think? I I don't that's the thing. I don't know either. Like I don't I mean, are you talking to your landlord, for example? Absolutely, absolutely. We're talking to everyone, but like, if 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 shit goes real, real, real bad, like, what's everyone gonna do? Where's everyone gonna go? Like, where's like you know, what's gonna happen here? Like, is is my building just gonna stay like stay empty like that? Like, money has to be coming in for it to go out, and if no money coming in and and doing two hundred bucks a night and fucking to go isn't gonna help anybody at all. Well, right. So, so let me just spin this another way. Do you think that you could do change your menu in a way that would make it more to go friendly? Maybe concentrate on like mushroom empanadas and cabbage rolls. So, so, so we, you know, we we have we we have a limited menu. So we've kind of like mashed up our our happy hour menu and our dinner menu with things that are more to go friendly than our usual stuff. Like obviously no raw stuff, no crudo, no oysters, no, no shit like that. But, um, you know, that being said, I don't know if it's going to take off or not. Like that's, that's what everyone's scared about is no one knows what's, what's going on here. And here, here's the deal to go. I, I don't know about Ryan's restaurant, but I'll take w- one of my, you know, closest friends and 
a client that I've worked before in the past, like, are people going to order BCN food to go at 50, you know, 40, $38 entrees? Probably not. Well, no. And I, I mean, I was on Absolutely. Uber Eats. I mean, I was on Uber Eats last week and a Pappas Brothers Steakhouse was on Uber Eats. It's like, I don't know that I want to pay like the, the price that I would be willing to pay in the restaurant, 60 bucks for a New York strip. Like people might do it once, like just like as a memory meal or something like, like that, but they're not going to be their go-to there's, daily. There's packaging involved now that we have to, different packaging we have to be involved. Um, whatever the, the, you know, if, if we're using an, uh, a delivery app, whatever they're gouging you at, you know, all this stuff comes into play. And then besides like, would Uber Eats be willing to cut their margin because 30% for a restaurant that's already, you know, struggling, that doesn't, that lot. doesn't even get us to pay our rent, for example. Like that won't, I, for most businesses, unless you're a pizza joint or a sandwich shop or maybe something very fast casual, it's, it won't even put a dent in it. All right. Well, Mary, you have, you have a whole separate side of your business and that you do, you have a retail wine shop. We do. I mean, what is that? What sort of demand are you seeing there? I mean, you obviously you you have delivery options. You have, you know, you have some tools available to you that maybe most restaurateurs don't. So, I look at this in a couple of different ways. I my background is economics. I think wine retail is is sustainable for a bit. You know, I think people will place online to go orders for the next days, maybe a couple of weeks. But here's here's the reality of the trickle down effect. My suppliers that I buy from, because I don't buy from uh, big suppliers, and I might have to rethink that, my little small distributors in Austin or Houston that have three or four employees or whatnot, they might shut down altogether. So let's say I sell through my wine. Then where do I go get more wine? And yes, maybe I'll have to rethink my whole wine program, which is all about small and local and independent family owned wineries. But do I want to do that? Because what happens when I run out if these small independent suppliers have laid off their staff? Right. No, for sure. I mean, this is, there's a whole ripple effect uh, through, I mean, the entire distribution system for the wine to go is nice. Right. And I'm, feel very grateful and very fortunate for that. But, you know, is wine what people are going to be buying if this continues? I don't know. It's not yeah, a necessity. Even, we're, we're luxury items, right? Yeah. Like, okay, I love wine, but it's not toilet paper. <laughs> well, right. But, I'm, but I mean, people are, people are going to the grocery stores. They're getting all these canned goods. They're getting bags of rice and beans. I mean, I mean, I feel like people will cook for themselves for a week or two. Eventually, they're going to get bored, right? They're going to want, they're going to want some sort of restaurant food. I mean, they I, are, but we have so Houston is a unique economy in the sense that we are more diversified. I'm 37 years old. I have vague memories of what the crash of '87 did to my family and did to our state. Um, we have an oil and gas crisis right now as well. Mm -hmm. So this coronavirus is absolutely like at the press. It's the most, you know, pressing thing right now, but you also have people that typically have a lot of disposable income that right now they don't even know if they're going to continue to have a job in oil and gas. And these are high earning jobs. So yes, Houston isn't just an oil and gas economy, but we are heavily reliant on the, 
uh, business spend of oil and gas and travelers and all of the things that we don't have right now. Yeah, it's it's um, it's tough. Yeah. So, Ryan, what's your sense of kind of what's going to happen in the next week or two? I mean, do you? You know, I don't like I don't know. Like we can just kind of like like it's the the information about this is coming so fast. It's almost like hour to hour. It's not like you know every mo- like I wake up every morning after my two fucking hours of sleep and and you, you know you, there's a million text messages, there's emails, there's this. You're you're on social media, um, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. Um, you know, I don't know. I think you know when this eventually all blows over. I think the food and beverage industry is going to be a whole different animal. You know, it is not going to look the it's same. It's not going to look at anything like the same it is now. We're going to have to figure things are going to be different. You know, because the food, like you know, we've been. It's a luxury. I mean, it, it's it, a luxury to eat out. For it, it, it is. It's a luxury. But we've been we as 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 those business owners like that. You know, the system has been broken for so long. And it's just, we've just been exposed now. Restaurants will get smaller, is my gut instinct, I, the you imprint know, of them. You know, I, yeah, I think maybe some are going to get smaller and it's gonna, you're going to have to have some big cash behind you to, to, stay, to stay alive. You know, um, I don't know. Hopefully I'm wrong. Yeah. But we'll see. I hope so too. I mean, I, you know, I have a, a deep affection for, you know, independent restaurants. I mean, I don't, I don't eat it all. A lot of chains, uh, you know, except ones with a drive-through for the most part. I just think everyone has to be very realistic about this now and not like sugarcoat anything and like like this like this is this is bad fucking news right now. We all have to yeah know, so be, be smart about it, and not you know. I mean, you know, you have staff, right? You have servers, cooks, bartenders, you know, all of whom are hourly, all of whom probably for the most part live paycheck to paycheck. I mean. Is there is there anything you can do for them to kind of cushion well, the blow? Like, here's the, the discussion that we've had with them. Like, obviously, everyone's taking a pay cut, mm-hmm. and that's not you know. There's nothing I can do about that. But you know, they're more than welcome to go try somewhere else. But you know, if if you stay with us, and and hopefully we can weather the storm, and we can all you know make a sacrifice right now, and in two weeks, a month, or whatever, we all still have jobs, or you can bail, and you can you know. Go try and test Go your luck elsewhere. Test your luck elsewhere. Right. But, um, you I know, mean, we're, we're, we're like, we, we can only do so much as a small business and, and to sustain and, and for the rest of the open. You know, we're trying to do as much as we can for them. Um, we're just even doing things like, you know, we do family meal every day at Thursday. We're still going to do family meal every day at Thursday. Everyone, even if you're not working, you're welcome to come in and eat. At least get something. You know, there's just things like that that we're trying to do as a small business to help our, our employees out when we can't do that much for them. I mean, I have staff with me that's been with me since I opened my doors at Le Olivier in 2012, you know? so Like you I, said, you may never see them back again. Yeah. So you either have to take whatever measure you can to pay them what you can if you, if you have the ability to do so. Where you risk not only losing your employees, but they're part of your family and your fabric at Absolutely. that point. Like, I, I know my employees' kids' names. I know... I know everything about them. I mean, these are people who've been in your life for eight, for me for eight years. It's not something I take lightly. And yes, I can afford and I will pay my staff out of my pocket. But at some point, you can't do that. So if we had clear direction from the city or the state or whomever, we could at least make plans. Like, can I take a two-week hit? 
it'd be painful, but I could probably do it. Could I take a month hit? That's when you start to ask, how long is this sustainable? Right. All right. Mary Clarkson, Ryan Lashane, thank you. That does it for our coronavirus conversation. Uh, Mary, we're going to do a quick version of our restaurant of the week. Uh, just <laughs> to just Christ. to lighten the mood, just to lighten the mood a little bit, we're going to do a I quick mean, version can of our. We have a martini right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm is, sorry. Is it, are you, did you guys get to go somewhere? <laughs> I should have I brought. I should have brought. I should have brought you bourbon. Do, I you, apologize. You can do to go from Real if you guys want. You can do the restaurant. <laughs> right let, me, let me know how it works out. Yeah. Tater tots and whiskey shots. Perfect. I'm done. We'll be right back. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Love Houston? Join the club. Houston Insider is a completely free program built for Houstonians. Join me and thousands of others at exclusive events around the city when you take the 15-minute online course. Become a Houston Insider and get access to invitations to special events, sneak previews, giveaways, discounts, and more, plus weekly updates on what's happening in Houston. Learn more and take the course at visithoustontexas.com backslash insider. That's visithoustontexas.com backslash insider. Mary, we're going to lighten things up just a little bit. We're going to talk about our restaurant of the week. It is Portovino. This is the new BYOB restaurant from Bill Floyd, formerly of, well, best known for Reef. Uh, more recently, he was at Patente. He is uh, still owns Jackson Street Barbecue, but no longer, no longer at Patente. Um. Mary, let me just let me just throw it to you. I mean, essentially, the the premise of Portovino is that there's a lot of people who are wine collectors and like BYOB restaurants. There are not that many BYOB restaurants, and so Bill has created a place with kind of an Italiany menu, uh, developed in part by Danny Trace of Patente and executed by Greg Gordon, who was uh, the chef owner of La Vista for a long time, which is maybe the most the best example of a an Italian-y kind of BYOB restaurant. So so let me just throw it to you, Mary. What did you think of Portovino? I think uh, the location of it is a little unusual to me. I think it's a good geographical location. It's off of Washington Avenue on the other side of I-10. I, north, north. Yeah, I thank you. I have no sense of direction. Um, I didn't even know Washington extended to the other side of I-10, so that was news to me. But a really cool rehab of a warehouse, industrial warehouse space um, plenty of parking, like 200 spaces for the whole building. So that was nice. Um, I thought the food was good. It's a little neighborhood spot. It's not trying to be too fancy or too pretentious. The spaghetti and meatballs were was kind of my favorite dish. Um, I love that you can BYOB. The corkage is really reasonable. I think it's like 13 bucks for your first bottle. Right. So yeah, it's it's actually pretty. It's it's pretty funny in a way. It's it's 13 dollars for the first bottle. Twelve bottles for the twelve dollars for the second bottle, eleven dollars for the third bottle, et cetera, et cetera. So and zero dollars for the fourteenth bottle. That's right. If you <laughs> if you're a big party and you bring a whole lot of wine, that's where we're then going after Eric. That's good going to know. Fourteen bottles deep. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think uh, we did have a pretty good meal overall. I was. Looking for my picture. You liked the barbecue pasta, the smoked barbecue. Oh, that's right. Yes. we. It was a little too smoky for me, but you lo- you like barbecue, so that's that's more your jam. Yeah, it had the, um, 
Yeah, I, I don't. It's a filled pasta with uh, brisket from Jackson Street Barbecue. That was pretty tasty. Uh, yeah, I like the spaghetti meatballs. I liked our shrimp pizza quite a bit. I thought that was pretty solid. Uh, you know, I had a classic wedge salad. It was a classic wedge salad. Uh, the only thing that didn't really work for me, I thought the steak was a little bit overcooked. I guess that's not. Um, I like that it's a ribeye cap because I, I like that cut. It was a and good it's, cut. It's pretty affordable. I think yeah. that steak's only like 25 bucks, which is any steak dish in a restaurant that's under $30 is pretty reasonable. Um, and of course, I mean, I'm never going to be, you know, La Vista was always known for its coconut cream pie. Uh, that that lives on. That now has a home at Portovino. So um, just as like a, you're, you're, you're much more um, knowledgeable about the, the wine world and the world of wine collectors. Yes. Are, are there, are there, is there like a group of wealthy people or, or maybe not even wealthy people, but just like obsessive wine people that really want this kind of restaurant in their lives? You know, I think anytime you can go to a restaurant and have a good meal and the ability to bring your own wine, even with a reasonable corkage, there is a group of, of consumer out there that definitely wants this uh, dining option. And I actually think... You know, depending on how we come out of this environment in the days, weeks, and months ahead, I think this type of dining concept will be even more popular than it was before. All right. Mary, thank you very much. You're welcome. Oh, tell, uh, I guess there's not really much going on at <laughs> Avondale Food and Wine these days. I mean, I could be like crawfish Saturdays and Sundays and drink Whitcraft Wine Dinner April 2nd, but seriously, I have no idea. Right. Sun- <laughs> crawfish and Riesling on the patio, Sundays, TBA. Um, get your wine and your food to go at avondalefoodandwine.com. That's all I got. All right, Mary, thank you very much. You're welcome. All right. I will be right back with Shannon Toon from Kraft Burger. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I'm joined this week by Shannon Toon. He is the chef owner of Kraft Burger. It is a restaurant in Finn Hall. Before I introduce him, I need to tell you that this segment is brought to you by Houston Insider by Visit Houston. Go to visithouston.com slash insider to learn more. Shannon, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. You know, I just, uh, I just had a long conversation with Ryan Lashane and Mary Clarkson about some of the challenges facing the restaurant industry right now with the coronavirus and uncertain regulatory environment that maybe, you know, we don't know as of the time of this recording, whether the government is going to require restaurants to be to go only or limit the size of their dining rooms. I mean, we, we just don't know. So I think, I think what I want to do is kind of do the standard interview. I want to talk to you a little bit about your career okay? and then we'll kind of talk about the state of Finn Hall, which actually just underwent some pretty significant changes. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about how did you become interested in the world of professional cooking? You know, um, I've been cooking from like an early age. I started cooking in my household, um, when I was maybe like seven years old. Um, my mother worked uh, graveyard. Both my parents worked for the post office back in New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey. And um, my dad was a god-awful cook, you know, bless the man. But he was a god-awful cook. And one day, my father made spaghetti and managed to burn it. And yeah. How do you burn something in boiling water? I don't know, Eric. Uh, okay. Uh, and then he used to always tease us. My dad, like, you know, he uh, grew up in the country in Virginia. So whenever we, we had an unidentified meat, something that we couldn't tell what it was just by looking at it, he'd be like, it's raccoon, raccoon or possum or whatever. So he just, just horrified us. 
So the night he burned spaghetti, like my my uh, family was very strict. Like whatever was made for dinner, you ate or you didn't eat. And I said, you know, I'm just not going to eat. And then the very next day, I started cooking. And um, I always kind of had an aptitude for it. Um, my mother says, you know, she started instructing me and seeing that I was into food, like from a very young age. Um, so my mom gave me a couple uh, tips. And then before I knew it, cooking dinner was my job. Okay, so how did you go from, from cooking dinner to, for your family to cooking professionally? Um, so that's all I've ever wanted to be. Like, like from a very young young child, before I knew it was a career, I wanted to be a a, a chef. So um, and this is all before the Food Network and all that stuff comes out. Um, when I got my first job, it was all my jobs were food related. I first was in a grocery store, and then um, I did that for about a year, and then I got a job working for a hotel where I got to see cooking. Um, uh, more, you know, day to day, like the the whole process from prepping to washing dishes to cooking on a line, doing action stations, and then like you know the the curiosity turned into a passion, and then um, uh, right after high school, I went right into culinary school, Johnson and Wells, and uh oh, in Providence. No, I didn't go to the Providence campus. I went to the Norfolk Virginia campus. Okay, and then I finished in uh, Miami, where where I met my wife. Okay, and then when did you come to Houston? I've been in Houston. About nine years now. Um, I, I originally first came here. Uh, it was task force. I was working for a hotel company out in Los, uh, Los Angeles. And they uh, they owned the the Icon. Okay. And they needed an interim uh, chef. That's when Chef Kramer was there. Okay. And he was leaving. And they brought me in to be like the, the uh, interim chef. Right. So you're... Yeah, because at some point it becomes Line and Lariat with David Luna, right? So, yes. so you're before that. So you're before that. So you're kind of after Voice, right? Which is, which was Chef Kramer's restaurant. Yes. So I was only there for I was only supposed to be there for like two or three weeks. I ended up staying like three months because they couldn't find a chef. And during that time, uh, they had a they had a need for a chef at the Driscoll in Austin, and I interviewed for her. I did a taste and I got the job there. I was there for about three years. The hotel company I was with sold that hotel, and then uh, a position became available at Hotel Derek. Okay, good. Because hotel, so, I mean, actually, so being a chef at the Driscoll is a pretty good gig. That's one of the best hotels in Austin. Yes. It was, it was an awesome. I, I am, if the hotel was not sold, I'd probably still be there. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was a great place to work. Right. We met when you were at the Derek. Yes. Which has had kind of an interesting history because it started... When it first opened, it had Bistro Modern, which was Philippe Schmidt's restaurant, and it yes. was kind of buzzy, and people were really excited about it. And then it's kind of gone through a series of, God, it was like a super expensive, not very good Italian place that was in there. Yes. Um, and then I think you you came in shortly after they 86 that, right? Yes. You know, I mean, uh, it was funny because uh, they, they reconcepted the restaurant, and they called it Revolve. And I said, you guys, know, you're not going to get killed for this, right? Because, <laughs> because of the revolving door of chefs and different concepts there. Uh, I was there for about almost four years. And I, I mean, I think I might have held a record for how long I stayed there for a while. Uh, yeah, you. Uh, be, none of your predecessors have lasted no. uh, nearly that long. And, and, and I say that with some affection. I mean, I know, I know Rishi Singh is there right now, and, and I know him from the Bohem days and Batanga, and he's a good dude, but yeah. it's just... Hotel restaurants are tough, man. It's like Houstonians do not eat at hotels. No, no. It's like um, 
now that I'm out of that biz, I, I, I totally understand. I don't, I never uh, eat at a hotel restaurant. And especially for Hotel Derek, I can understand why it had so many issues. Um, it's at a weird location. It's at one of the busiest intersections. Getting in and out of there is hard. Then you got to pay for, uh, um, for parking there. There's so many other options. No matter how good the food could be there, there's so many other options where you don't have so many obstacles to getting your meal. Well, and I also think hotel restaurants are tricky because they, you know, primarily they have to serve their guests. So, yes, you know, you have to have some sort of like chicken breast or something. You have to have like a filet. You have to have a really accessible seafood option that yeah. nine times out of ten is salmon. Yeah. It's just not, they're just not ex- like they don't, you know, you're checking boxes. It doesn't feel like a compre- uh, a cohesive uh, approach. So my my approach to it, and this is one of the reasons why I got out of the hotel world, was that I was saying specialize in one thing. Like, if we want to be a steakhouse, let's be a steakhouse. If we want to sell burgers, sell burgers. But trying to have something for everybody is like when I said I was compared to Cheesecake Factory, where they have a gigantic menu and there's probably like 10 really good things on there. You know what I'm saying? I was like, let's not be that. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, uh, I kept like downsizing the menu and downsizing the menu. I said, let's just let's just do these ten or twelve things really, really well. And I was just like, you know, cause it, cause I very soon and early on said, hey, someone who lives in Montrose is not coming here to eat. You know what I'm saying? So let's just let's just give what give what we're good at. And be known for that. Right. So what did you... So, all right. So I, we'll move on to Kraft Burger in a second. But what did you sort of settle on? Or what did you try to make work at Revolve? All right. Let me, let me backtrack one. So Revolve okay. was concepted by the higher-ups. Me, the executive chef, and the food and beverage director were not involved in Revolve until it was done. They, they, they gave us a concept and said, go. So for me, I really just kind of put on the things I want, the I, things I wanted to do, you know, like um, just just playing around with different foods that I wanted to do. The whole time at Derek Hotel Derek was, was a great time for me in my career was I was able just to experiment like where I had to fight for a lot of stuff. They were down for the ex- ex- uh, experimentation. Um, and quite honestly, I don't remember what I did. It's fair. It's been a while. All right. Yeah. All right. So. You decided to leave and start your own thing. Yes. I mean, I mean, of all the things, there are so many hamburger places. What made you think like, oh, yeah, a burger food truck. Like, that's that's how I'm going to make my mark. Burgers were then and still are today the number one selling food item in America. I said, if I'm going to leave my well-paying corporate job, I wanted to do something that um, I knew had a very good chance of being successful. Um and I also had already started to build a name for the burgers and some of the things I was doing at Hotel Derek. So I said I could build off of this and keep going with it. All right. So when was so when did you open Kraft Burger? Kraft Burger opened like the actual food truck opened like February two thousand and fifteen. Okay. You started out in Cyprus, right? No. No. Oh, okay. No. So um I, I, when I ate it, it was out in Cyprus. Yeah, was a food you, truck in Cyprus. Yeah, there was like a, it was like the Rose Hill Food Truck Park or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I was, that was, that's two years in. Okay. I started my food truck. We were just, you know, doing the whole food truck scene all throughout Houston. Then I, my first food truck park was at Deacon Baldy's in Magnolia. 
Got it. Okay. I was there for a year and a half, did that. Um, then we went to Roseau. Okay. Yes. I mean, everything from every food truck operator I've ever talked to, it's really hard to make money on a food truck. It can be like, you know, I experienced that once I got into the food truck, uh, the fruit park world of the food truck industry, it became a lot better for me because um, I think one of the biggest issues I had my first food truck um, in one year of my first food truck, I put in three motors. Like, oh, wow. The, the reliability is a huge issue like of the actual food truck. You, you deal with all the issues that you would of having a kitchen plus of having a automobile. So, right. So, so that so it wasn't it wasn't the the grill or the refrigeration. It was the truck part that was really letting you down. I mean, the I I think my first year in missed revenue between catering gigs, events, it was over a hundred thousand. Like wow. that, I didn't get the chance to make. And because for me, like, so I opened my food truck in February of two thousand fifteen. No, two thousand sixteen. Um, my chopped episode aired March of 2016. So I started with an immediate, like, you know, I skyrocketed, you know, for, for months. It was, it was, I never struggled the way other food trucks. Right, right. You, right. Winning an episode of Chopped gave you a notoriety. Yes. That you would not have been able to achieve without it. Not, not to the same level now. Right. Okay. Let's, you know what, let's come back to Chopped. Tell me about the decision to park the truck and go to Finn Hall. Um, so, all right. So back to the having issues making money is like, uh, we were doing okay, but like to me to be comfortable uh, financially and to be, uh, just to grow, I knew I couldn't just stay in the food truck world. I had been already looking to find some, uh, some brick and mortar somewhere. And then, uh, Thomas, uh, one of the owners of Pelly Pelly reached out to me. And said, hey, I got a good opportunity that came my way. Um, I can't take it, but I think you'd be a good fit. And he put me in contact with the uh, guys at Finn Hall. Okay. So, I mean, we, you know, I wrote a long story a couple of weeks ago yeah. about all the changes at Finn Hall. I mean, there's there's been some turnover. Malasetuan left. They changed the pizza vendor. Yes. Um, obviously, the original management company is no longer involved. I mean, what's your experience been like? Because I, I mean, my sense is that you may be, you may be the rock star of, in, at least in terms of sales of Finn Hall. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've done, I've done well, you know what I'm saying? Um, I, but once again, I sell burgers. I don't, they sell themselves, you know, for the first, all I got to do is not screw it up. Right. You know? Don't overcook it. Yeah. You know, all I got to do is not screw it up. Um, so my experience there has been different than, other people's you know even during the the bad times i've been able to do okay even like this weekend i had an okay weekend you know where other people there i mean they didn't do that well um but i I think it's just i don't think it's just the fact that i sell burgers and easier to sell i spend more time marketing um i build the name uh in the city right you're very active on social media yeah i mean I think other people haven't really got into that part of it. They, they, one of the lessons I learned from Hotel Derek was how to market and building relationships with people. So, and I'm willing to take a risk. Like, I'll spend money in a marketing program and hope it, hope it there's a return. 
where others won't. Yeah, and I mean you you I mean you you're like burger still themselves, but that's not really true. I mean you yeah. make a pretty good burger. I do. I, mean, I do. I mean, just talk a little bit about kind of what goes into your like what's your patty like? What are your I mean, you do I don't remember you have some really ridiculous burger whose toppings I don't I can't recall off the top of my head. So I'll start with our our grind. We use a really good grind of meat. You know, our burgers are burgers are fresh, all natural, never frozen. Uh, we're using chuck, ribeye scraps, brisket, um, and then we actually grind in a little beef heart um, to give you that really good beefy uh, 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 flavor. Um, we use really good buns. Like one of the things I said, if I'm gonna go, I spent a lot of time in fine dining um, before. Uh, uh, opening craft craft burger. And one of the things I said, if I'm going to go from doing what I was doing to doing burgers, I, that I wanted to make sure that I'm using the best quality. So we really sourced a really good quality um, uh, burger patty. I'm using the Rafinos out of College Station. They were only, they were at the time they were one of the only people I can get a fresh, never frozen, all natural patty. I get my burgers from Cake and Bacon. We use really good produce. Um, and then like some of our specialty burgers, we have the truffle butter, juicy Lucy's where we're using real truffles. That's the one I was thinking. Of. Yeah. yeah. Um, fresh, uh, uh, cheese curries that come out of uh, Dallas. Um, and even like, uh, our bacon, we make our own bacon from scratch, you know, like, you know, we're, we're getting high quality, all natural pork bellies. Like we're spending the, we're spending the, the money to get good, good, uh, ingredients and we're treating it with the same focus that you would in a fine dining restaurant. All right. So. So what's it been like at Finn Hall kind of since the management company was removed, since David Buer came on as culinary director and they, they cut your rent by 10% um, or a third, actually they cut it by a third. <laughs> it's uh it's been really good. I mean, David Buer, I honestly didn't know what your articles when I found out what his title was. They, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I could help. Uh, like they, uh, they really weren't like, uh, they they introduced to say he's helping us out. Like I I didn't know who he was or what he did, um, but bringing in the new vendors, I always said like you know people some of the other vendors they get concerned about who's coming in next. Who you know what you know are they going to take away business? And my thing is the better the vendors are, the more people are going to come into Finn Hall. So, I mean I don't care who they brought in, long as they were top notch um, uh, vendors they were all going to be fine. Yeah, you got to feel pretty good. So by that standard, you got to feel pretty good about the new vendors, right? Lit Chicken from Kitchen 713, uh, Pho Bin, best pho in Houston, and and the taco. Have you tried the tacos yet? I, yeah, so I'm right in between uh, the tacos and Lit Chicken. Like, So I've tried both their food like a lot because they're my neighbors. Um, pho Bin hasn't started yet. Um, but yeah, I, I feel great about it. I think, I think we're taking a step in the right direction in the direction that we couldn't have gone at 30%. Right. If they didn't um, lower the percentages, um, like for me, I was, I was on the way out the door. Um, uh, like you were, you wouldn't renew your lease. No, b- before the whole change happened with, with uh, uh, the management companies, cause they wanted me to take over my SS1 space. I had um, pits and, um, a concept, a chicken concept, very similar to the kitchen called the, the pecking order. And okay. I was, yeah, I was going to, I was going to do a very, very similar uh, concept. And then the previous owners, they wanted me to pay more. They wanted me to pay 33%. I was like, are you guys, 
out of your mind? <laughs> and just the whole way they, they came across to me, it made me realize that this is definitely not a partnership. They're trying to just make money off of me. I said, no, nah, I'm done. All right. So, well, and, and are you still working on a Caribbean concept for Railway Heights? Is that still is that still in the works? That's on the back burner for right now. We're, we, me, me and my wife, we, we talked about it. She's the Caribbean influence for for that uh, um, uh, concept. And we have an opportunity. We're, we're currently working on a standalone brick-and-mortar restaurant. Um, and we decided, we decided that it'd be best to pursue that first. Okay, so brick-and-mortar restaurant, that's very exciting. Yes. Is that Kraft Burger pecking order or both? Both. It's uh now we actually so when when Osrey pissed me off, I decided that I don't want to play anymore. I'm taking my ball and I'm leaving. And I combined Kraft Burger and Packing Order into one concept. And um uh it's called Craft Kitchen and Bar. And um it has, you know, it has its burger uh elements, it has different chicken elements, but you know, we were in the process writing the menu and I realized I didn't have a full concept um it was like burgers and chicken isn't a restaurant it's two concepts uh, married together yeah you're like if if uh if Chick-fil-A like a, yeah and if Burger like, King split a split a <laughs> yeah split a drive-thru yeah. yeah yeah so um what we did was we went back and we really thought about it um and we just added more uh more elements to it and our whole thought process was that this is going to be a family restaurant. This is going to be kind of place that we would go. We'd bring our two children. And uh, we started adding, like, you know, I really started thinking more about the cocktails and how I really wanted a really good cocktail program. So we're, we're currently looking for someone to help us develop that. But that's something that's very important that we want to make sure we have good cocktails. Then we're adding a milkshake bar. And we just actually got back from Vegas, and we went to a restaurant out there called Blacktop. And they have a milkshake bar in the restaurant and they do the really crazy milkshakes and it's something I've been wanting to do for a while, but it doesn't really work. It didn't work on a, on a food truck. There's not enough room and the uh, food hall is still the same problem. There's not enough room. I have to dedicate a space just for that. Right. And in this place, the, 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 the space that we're going to has a sushi, had a sushi bar and we're turning that sushi bar into our milkshake bar. All right. So you have a lease. Yes. Do you want to tell us where it is? Not yet. It's it's very close to here. Oh, <laughs> okay. It's uh yeah not not yet. We want to get a little further into the development and uh, remodel stage before, like this is all like super, like like last week. Right. Yeah. All right. So for people who don't know, we're in the gal. We're generally speaking in the gallery area. Yes. It's on Westheimer. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So then, if we start thinking about closed restaurants on <laughs> Westheimer, we have a sushi bar. Uh, we might be able to we might be able to knock this down. When when do you think you're going to open? What's your plan, man? With everything that's going on now, we really don't know. Like, um, uh, I would say, really optimistically, June. Okay. Um, if I'm being realistic, September. Yeah, yeah. That's that's usually June. June usually means September, and September means uh, January. Yeah, so. yeah. So. The the uh, thing is, the restaurant's a second generation. There's not a lot to do as far as the remodel. Um, but we just want to make sure that we get past this moment. And then... Right. No, of course. Yeah, yeah you want to you open... You don't want to open a restaurant at a time when... The pandemic. Restaurateurs are freaking out about whether they're going to have a viable business in a month. Absolutely. All right. So, all right. So, before I let you, before I let you go... Um, 
Tell me, tell me like one good behind the scenes story from Chopped. <sighs> behind the scenes story. So, like, like I'm trying to think what I haven't told already. Well, uh, all right. So, so like, how quickly did you figure out? Like, did you size up your competitors and feel like, oh, I got a shot at this? Oh, not to the very end. Um, I am. I will always put myself as an underdog. Like, I, I, I always assume everyone has the same a talent or more than me. So in, uh, there was one female, her name was Lindsay. She was from San Francisco and she's a chef de cuisine of a restaurant. And I know how hard it is for people of color and women to rise to that level. So when I saw a female chef from San Francisco, San Francisco is one of my favorite food cities in this country. Um, I was like, she's the one to, or she's the one to beat. Yeah. To beat. like, she's, she's going to, to, to really be difficult. And she was the first person chopped. I, I, I just felt like I was I was just about to interrupt you to ask if she was the first person. She was the first person chopped. And then the person that I went down to the to the wire with, like, you know, down to the final um round with uh Ryan Laurie, he's like a big deal, fine dining executive chef in New York City. And we actually we knew each other from New Jersey. He grew up like a town over from me. Uh we didn't like like we weren't like friends, but we knew each other. We at some times rolled in the same circle. And uh, even like now, I look back. I'm like, I don't believe I beat him. Like he was. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been to his restaurant. His restaurant is amazing. Like he's a really talented hey, chef. It's not your problem, right? Yeah, yeah. How how you win is not is not nearly as important as that you won. I tell people all the time, it's not about being the best chef. It's being the best chef. Then that moment, right? And it, it was like a, a. It's really about you beating yourself. Like you have to. The biggest thing is like I was able to compose myself. I didn't put any pressure on myself. I never thought about winning till I put my last plate up. I never even like even though I kept getting it didn't phase me that I may be uh in a position to win this until I was almost done. All right. So do you would you do it again? Are there other shows? I mean is there well, I won, so of course I would do it again. Uh <laughs> <laughs> um are there other shows I would do like um uh, so they called me back to do uh, Top Champion, uh, but it was right after um, I did I did the first Chopped. And I was now in the planning stages of getting my food truck started. So I couldn't just go back right back and do it. But would I do it again? Absolutely. It was great exposure. And I think win or lose, it's still great exposure. As long as you don't do anything crazy. Right. You know, it's still, it's, it was fun too. All right. Well, good. All right. Well, Shannon, before I let you get out of here, uh, I always like to wrap these interviews up with something I call the lightning round. Okay. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. All right. Shannon Toon, what is your favorite cookbook? Fresh Laundry. What is, uh, what is the first band you ever saw in concert? Buster Rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? J.J. Watt. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Does that have to be local? Nope. White Castle. That's a good, that, that's a solid answer. I'm surprised we don't get that answer more often. All right. And then finally, when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, uh, what are your go-to pizza toppings? Pepperoni? I mean, it's the most popular topping. It's not unreasonable. Um, it, it depends where I'm at, too. Like, what level of pizza? Right. Like, I'll get mushrooms, but I don't want button mushrooms. Like, when I go to the back of house, I love his mushroom pizza. Okay. Very good. All right. 
Uh, give us the website and all that stuff for Craft Burger. Craft Burger is uh, craftburgerfoodtruck.com. Shannon Toon, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.